0: Morning, everyone. Good to see you today. As Elliot said, we're beginning a new series of messages today, a six-part series on the topic of gender. Now, from the beginning of recorded history, there's always been a, well, it's sort of a love-hate relationship between the genders. Whenever men and women get together, it's always interesting. It's always full of drama, usually a lot of surprise, definitely a fair amount of conflict. Now, historically, women have tended to come out on the losing end of the gender relationship. In our own culture, the rise of feminism back in the 60s was a response to much of the inequity and mistreatment of women that they had suffered at the hands of men for quite a while. So as I begin this series, I'm well aware of the fact that I am a man, and if you are a woman, this might be a bit of a barrier for you hearing what I have to say on the topic of gender. What I want to avoid in this series is mansplaining all of this. That's the term for, for what's often said when a man tries to explain all of these things. Uh, it would not be helpful for me to spend six weeks mansplaining gender to you. My goal is to god the topic of gender, to look at the Bible and explain as best as I can what it is that God has to say on this topic. But I realize that I'm still a man explaining what God's Word says. So all I ask you to do if you're a woman is to consider God's words, not just my words. Go back, read through the verses, read through the story we're going to be looking at, and then make your decision. Now, this is obviously a very hot topic in our culture. It's always really a hot topic, but it's really an interesting time in our culture in the, the area of gender right now. And there's a tremendous amount of stake at stake for us in these gender wars. If we don't get this right and learn how to work together, it's going to damage the future in ways that little else can. You know, In the wake of the sexual revolution that was also back in the 60s, an increasing number of people began to pursue romantic attachments outside of the commitment of marriage. And that left us as a culture with a, a lack of terms to use to describe this kind of relationship. And so in the 70s, this phrase, significant other, began to emerge in our culture and it was used to identify romantic relationships that did not have the commitment of marriage. But what's interesting to me about this term is that it pretty accurately points to the basic elements that occur whenever men and women relate, especially whenever they fall in love. It's always significant. It always is a big deal. And it's always other. It always involves two people who are pretty different from each other. In his book, John Gray, proposes a fictitious answer to the conflict and the difference between men and women. You may have read this book, but in his story, his made-up story, men are from Mars and women are from Venus. And apparently the Martians saw the Venetians and they traveled to their planet. And even though they were from very different worlds, they delighted in each other's differences. And then together they spotted Earth and they traveled to Earth. But for some reason, the effect of the Earth's atmosphere caused massive gender amnesia. They forgot that they were from different planets and that they were supposed to be different, and they've been in conflict here on Earth ever since. That's the story that John Gray tells. Now, of course, the story isn't true, but the conclusion rings pretty true, doesn't it? I mean, we do appear to have planetary size differences. Our physical differences are pretty obvious, but our collective amnesia about what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman is pretty extensive now in our culture. So in this series what I want to do is I want to focus on the true story about where we're really from. A story that I hope will awaken us from whatever state of amnesia we are in about this topic. We're going to be looking at the creation story. It's found in Genesis chapter uh, chapter 1 through 3. Turns out, obviously, we're not settlers from Mars and Venus. We're from here. And like most other life forms, God made us male and female. But unlike the rest of the animal kingdom, human gender goes much deeper than just the biology. The creation story, particularly about our genders, comes in two forms. There's a short form, one verse, and a long form, a couple of chapters. Now, the short version of the story lays the foundation that the longer version expands on. So we're going to begin with uh, the short version. It's found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Here's what we read. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, what I want to present to you a diagram that kind of explains what this verse is talking about. This diagram is not in your listing notes, so if you want to copy this down, feel free to. You can kind of turn to the back of the listening guide if you want to copy this down. But what this is saying, first of all, is down deep at the core of who we are as people are, ver- are two very important realities. The first reality is that we are made in God's image. Now, there's a lot that can be said about the implications of being made in God's image. But let me just simply summarize it this way. We need God. We can't get away from that fact. We do not do well over time without understanding who God really is and having a real relationship with Him, because that's who we are. This is why we're spiritual beings. We're made in God's image. You know, my shadow is an image of me. It's not me. outlines kind of what I look like, but it's not me. But my shadow and me, we go together. We belong together. It's an image of me. In a similar way, because we are created in the image of God, we cannot escape the reality of our need for God. It is the first and most important fact about who we are. Without God, without knowing who He is and having a relationship with Him, we will spend our lives looking for something big enough for our God-sized shadow to stand next to. But the problem is there's nothing on this earth that's big enough. It's kind of like trying to find a big enough blade of grass that you can hide behind. Their grass is just small. It's not big enough. Nothing on earth, nothing we can do, nothing we can accomplish. No amount of people that, that we can be famous in front of Is ever going to get close to the fact that we are made in the image of God and we need to stand in his shadow. That's who we are. Next, down deep at the core of who we are is our gender. As it says, male and female, he created them. We are either male or female. To use the current terms, we are binary. I know that's not popular now, but again, this is the story that God tells And if you're not sure about this, I would ask you to at least consider this story, hear out this story, and then decide, rather than just accept kind of whatever story our culture is telling at this time. Now again, there's a lot that can be said, and we're going to spend five weeks talking about what it means to be male and female, and how we interact with each other. But I could summarize it simply by saying this, we need each other. We need each other. We need both men and women. That's because gender is a reflection of God's image. It is built on top of us being made in the image of God. So no single gender can reflect God's image. We need each other to fully reflect God's image and to do His will here on earth. This is what's so damaging when the genders go to war. It just destroys all kinds of things that God wants us to do together. Now, floating on the surface of these two massive realities are the individual. It's us. kind of like a a boat floating on top. We're not just, it turns out, men or women. We are particular individual men and particular individual women. And what that means is we all have different personalities. We are raised in different environments and have different experiences that shape us. And we form and develop different preferences over time. And that kind of shapes where the boat kind of goes and the differences and what makes us unique as an individual. So the boat drifts, but it is still anchored to these core realities. No matter what our personality is, no matter what our environment was growing up or is now, no matter what our preferences are, we are still made in the image of God and we are still either male or or female. Now, I wanted to draw this diagram because much of the conversation about gender, in particular the struggle over gender, it occurs on the surface issue. This is where most of the battles take place. There's a lot of confusion on the surface issue. When my son was three, he spent about a year asking me a series of gender-related questions. They usually went something like this. I, let's say I'd be barbecuing in the back and He'd see me do this for a while, and he'd come up to me, and he'd say, so, Dad, only boys can barbecue, right? (laughs) And then maybe I'd be washing a car out front, and kind of the same thing. He'd see me do this a while, and he'd come up to me and say, so, Dad, only boys can wash cars, right? So I would explain, well, no, son, actually girls are just as capable at grilling and car washing as boys are. Now, what he was doing is he was stereotyping the genders, This is the common thing that we do. We talk about this a lot, but we we usually don't think about what these words mean. So let me describe what stereotype means, two parts of the word. Stereo means two or more channels, two or more inputs. Type simply means the category in question. So my son was doing what every child does. I mean, every development of thought occurs as you understand categories. And the more categories you understand, the better you're able to get a read on reality and make good decisions. And so, you know, it starts with these are the color categories, and these are the shape categories, and then these are the letter categories, and on and on it goes. And, of course, he was noticing. He had a sister, and he had a mom, and so he's noticing the difference between us, and he's trying to figure out these categories, what goes on here. Now, the problem with what he was doing was stereotyping. Stereotyping occurs whenever you take just a few data points, two at least, and maybe just a few more, and you make a conclusion about the category, about the type. The problem with stereotyping is that reality tends to be far more complex than two data points or even a few data points can explain. So, for example, just because I barbecue and maybe he saw another guy barbecue, it's overly simplistic to say that men are supposed to be the only ones who barbecue. Now, the recent gender struggles have been primarily about stereotypes. It's on the surface. The goal has been to remove the stereotypes of what men and primarily what women can and cannot do. And for the most part, that's actually a really good thing because we need to think more deeply about what it means to be a man or a woman than just what we can or can't do. The problem with the current situation is in the struggle over stereotypes, we've eliminated the type. It's good to talk about, no, it's more complex than that, but there still is male and female. So we now know more about the range at which the individual boat can float, but we've now cut loose the anchor of gender altogether. And we are now adrift in a sea of pretty massive confusion on this. Now, that would be fine if we were created to go it alone. But at the core, again, of who we are, what we cannot escape is that we both need God and we need each other. So if we're going to get below the surface stereotypes, we're going to have to consider the long version of the creation story as it relates to gender, and that begins in Genesis chapter 2. So we're going to start today with two foundational questions. Why is this relationship so significant, and why do they have to be so different? Why other? So now we're to the listening guide. Question number one, why is gender significant? We pick up the story in Genesis 2:15 through 18. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So as God breaks down the detail, the first thing you discover is, in the short version, he just simply says God created the male and female. In the long version, you discover that he created first the man, and then there appears to be a time delay between that and when he created the woman. Now why is that? It's because God wanted to get us to understand very clearly that there's a difference in the genders as it relates to us as people. Now, before these verses, if you read the creation story in Genesis chapter 1, God has paused and said, It is good, seven times. Now, for the very first time in the creation story, God says the opposite. It is not good. Why? Did God overlook something? Was, did he kind of doze as he was going through his checklist and miss something? No, clearly. God's capacity in the matter of creation was not in question here. God is doing this to make a point. He's creating a a dramatic pause so that we don't miss what's going on here. What exactly is not good? Well, God describes two conditions, they're related, that are not good. The first is Adam's all alone. The second, related to him, that means he needs help, but he doesn't have any help. God then proceeds... In the next verse, to create Eve, the problem is solved and it is now good. So whether it's a man all alone or a woman all alone, it's a giant creation-stopping problem that points to two of the deepest needs that we all carry. The first is we need intimacy. This is why it's not good for us to be alone. We need intimacy. God pauses the creation process and tells the story in such a way that we are leaning on the edge of our seat to make the point right at the beginning. He's saying, don't miss this. Don't ever forget this. You need intimacy. After World War II, there were a lot of orphans, obviously, as a result of the size of that war. And orphanages were constructed and funded, and a lot of these uh, orphans were placed in them. But the problem is the doctors uh, began to identify a fatal and mysterious illness that they called marasmus. Marasmus is a Greek word that means to wither. What they discovered is a number of these orphan babies who had been placed in these care facilities, they had plenty of great toys, they had new furniture, they had a lot of staff, the food was great, but the health of a number of these orphans began to deteriorate. They would first become lethargic and fragile, and then a number of them began to To die. So, doctors from the newly formed United Nations were flown to these sites in an attempt to diagnose the problem and offer a possible treatment for the mystery. After a brief investigation, they made a simple prescription that cured the problem in a matter of days. Here's what it was for 10 minutes every hour, each child was to be picked up by a nurse, hugged, kissed, played with, and talked to. 10 minutes out of every hour. For most of them, within days, their marasmus was cured. What they needed is what we all need, a loving relationship with another human being. It is not good for us to be alone. We were created for community, and the reason we can't get away from that is because we reflect God's image. God himself is the very essence and definition of community. He is three in one. He is three persons and yet one God. He is God the Father. This is the way he reveals himself in the Bible. He's God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. You don't get a more perfect community, three in one, working together in perfect unity. And this is why we don't just want community in general. We just want, don't want to just hang out next to people like in a group like this that doesn't really meet our community needs. We want connection. Ultimately, we want intimacy with one person, a significant other. We want a soulmate, preferably for life. We want an ally in the struggles of life. We want a lover in the good times and in the bad times. Now, we will never be able to be anything like the three-in-one God. He is unique. But the closest that we can get to that is two-in-one, two genders bonded together in unity. We need intimacy. The second thing we need is we need help, and apparently a lot of it. Not only is it not good for Adam sitting there all alone, what's also not good is that God has some work for Adam to do, and Adam needs help doing it. So, God says that he will make a helper suitable for him. Then, as you read the story, the next thing that happens is God brings out all of the animals for Adam to name. And after that, at the end of verse 20, we read this interesting statement, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. That tells you why this interesting scene of Adam naming the animals even occurred. It wasn't because God ran out of name ideas and needed Adam to come up with names for all the animals. No, God was wanting a point to be made. He wanted to bring before Adam all of the living things that had been created up to this point on earth to make the point, none of these are a suitable helper. They're great, they have a purpose, they have value, but it's not the kind of help that Adam needs. So at this point in the story, the explanation point is significant. Oh, no, there, there's, there's no help for Adam. What are we going to do? It says Adam needed a helper that was suitable. This is written in the Hebrew language, and the Hebrew word for suitable means opposite counterpart. The idea was Adam was just half. He needed the other part. He needed an opposite counterpart. So what's God going to do? Well, the drama is increasing. And then God creates woman. Now the story is good again. Why? She was a suitable helper for Adam. To help him do what? It doesn't say. Again, that's on the surface. But what's clear and important to understand is she was not just brought on as a minor servant to his larger purposes. No, she was the opposite counterpart of equal value. You see, God had given Adam two very important tasks to do. The first one is mentioned right after the short version of the story. Back in verse 28 of Genesis 1, he simply says to the man and woman, now be fruitful and increase in number. The second statement we've already read, the second piece of work was Adam was given the task of working the Garden of Eden and caring for it. Now, the problem, apparently, is he couldn't do both of these on his own. He needed help. Now, we understand why he needed help with the first task. Obviously, he's not going to come up with babies on his own. He's not going to be able to increase the number on earth and multiply. But the question you have to ask is, why couldn't the guy garden by himself? What was wrong with Adam that he couldn't pull up a weed all by himself he needed help? Why? Well, again, it wasn't that he couldn't actually do the work. The point that's being made here is that no matter what the work is, it is significantly improved and enhanced whenever we partner together. Now, sin makes that partnering a big challenge, but it doesn't change the fact that if you want to accomplish the work that God has given you and do better at it over time, you'll do much better partnering, not all by yourself. Now, for most of us, this partnership takes the form of marriage. But if you're here today and you're single, that doesn't mean that God has decided you don't need any help. No, you're still like everyone else. You need help. It's not good for you to be alone. It also doesn't mean that you're on God's plan B. Now, what it means is that as a single person, you've got a significant advantage and you also have a disadvantage. I mean, every situation in life comes with advantages and disadvantages. Marriage and singleness are the same. If you're single, the big advantage you have is you've got a whole lot more time and freedom than those of us that are married. If you're newly married, you're discovering you don't have as much freedom and time as you did when you were single. That's a big advantage. The disadvantage that you have if you're single is that you have less built-in partnering. You know, I wake up every day, and I know who my partner is. She's right there. I, I don't ever get confused on the fact that I'm supposed to be doing life together with her. But if you're single, you wake up every day, and you have to decide again, am I going to go it alone today, or am I going to partner with people today? That That is a disadvantage. So my advice to you if you're single is, don't waste your advantage on yourself. The tendency, and I struggle with this when I was single, is with all of that freedom and all of that time, I just leveraged it for me and what I wanted. Well, that's not why God gave you that advantage. I mean, take care of yourself, but don't make it all about you. Leverage your extra time and your extra freedom to invest in the things that really matter for eternity. Take advantage of the advantage. And then for the disadvantage, my advice to you would be make commitments to partner with other people. Don't make it every day, well, should I partner with people or not? Make some longer-term commitments. Commit to a church like this. Get involved in serving. Make some commitments. Commit to some people in the church and maybe some other people to, to serve them and love them with the extra time and the extra freedom that you have. Commit strongly to the work that God has given you to do. You know, when I was single, I, I could work late at night and not so much when you're married and have kids. So take advantage of that and get that career launched. Do a good job on it. Now, for me, for most of my life, I've been married. And now I'm a grandparent. Here's a picture of my wife and I with our five grandkids. Now, when I first saw this picture, it's like, I look scary happy. I mean, it's like almost freaky happy (laughs) in this picture. But that's just because it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun being a grandparent. And often when I watch our grandkids play, I am filled with gratitude for my wife. You know, I, I think back on the tremendous amount of time that we both spent trying to figure out what to do next in the very confusing and very co- complex job of parenting. And that's what parenting is. You're almost always like, huh, what are we going to do now? <laughs> Didn't think of that, so how, how, how are we going to respond to this? And oh no, how do we, how do we head that off? And, it's, it's a challenge. And honestly, we both got discouraged a lot. And often it was a timely word from the other that got us moving again. Either a word of encouragement or a word of advice. I mean, if it was just me raising my kids, oh, man, it'd be a disaster. I needed help. My wife needed help. Now, I know that some of you in this room are parenting all by yourself. You're a single parent, and I commend you because you know this. You're doing the work of two. And you probably agree more than most with God's assessment on this. It is not good and preferable to be alone. But God will help. If you're a part of a church, a church can really help. But It turns out Adam didn't just need help in the kid department. He also needed help to do the other work that God had assigned him to do. In his case, let's take care of the Garden of Eden. We don't get that assignment. But like Adam, God gives all of us some part of this world, some meaningful work to do that improves this place, something to work and care for. Now, for me, my assignment for God for most of my life has been to pastor this church. Now, let me be clear. My assignment is not any better than your assignment. What makes the assignment big is that it's from God. God gives you assignments, gave me an assignment. This is my particular assignment. So 29 and a half years ago, when my wife and I decided to take on this assignment, I knew it was going to be hard, but I honestly had no idea. And that's just the way all commitments are. You know, you, you, as a single person, you look at marriage and you think, how hard can it be? And then you get married, it's like, oh, I had no idea. Then you look at parenting, it's like, they're only this big. Can you not control your child? It's like, oh, I had no idea. <laughs> but that's just the way commitments are, and this was no exception. Probably you look at your assignment, it's like, boy, it's, it's been more challenging than I thought it was going to be. That's just the way life is. And I could never have made it this far on my own. I mean, if it wasn't for my wife listening to me, putting up with me, encouraging me, advising me, I'd have lost heart a long time ago. And the truth is, I would have made some really dumb decisions. Over and over again, she's had a thought or given me some input that I, you know, I didn't even think of that. I'm so glad you said something. I don't always respond that way. It's like, who are you to tell me what to do? But usually if I listen, (laughs) it's like, that's actually a pretty good thought. I appreciate the input. We need each other. But the second question is this. Why do we need a different other? I mean, why do we have to be so different? Why do we need an opposite counterpart? I mean, honestly, my natural thought is, I think it would be more efficient if it was just two of me. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't even have to talk to me. I wouldn't have to figure out what me's thinking. I I wouldn't have to get me on the same page. It would just be me times two. Now, that seems like the best working arrangement that could be possible. But for some reason, God said, oh, no, I'm going to give you something, someone really different than you, someone that you're never going to fully understand. Now, get to work. Why? Why Why do we have to be so different? Why so other? Well, in the last verse in Genesis chapter 2, we begin to get a clue that I think leads to the answer. Verse 25 says this, The man and the woman were both naked, and they felt no shame. Well, that's weird. I mean, that's one of the parts of the story. It's like, why is that in here? Why a comment about being naked and not noticing it? The reason this comment is here is because that was about to change. You read the story on in Genesis chapter 3, verses 6-7. through 7, We read this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also, also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So they sinned, and the first thing they realized was, Oh, my goodness, I'm naked. That seems random. I mean, for the first time, they felt guilt. They felt a distance between them and the God whose image that they bore. That's something that hadn't been there before. So the question is, why respond to that first awful feeling of guilt by looking for some clothes? Why was that the first thing they did? Now, you have to understand the purpose of clothing was not because they were cold. They were not looking for jackets. They are not looking for something to cover up their arms. They were looking for something to cover up their nakedness. A person is called naked not when any part of their body is showing, but when the particular parts of their body that reveal their gender is showing. That's when they're naked. So what was happening is there was a break in their relationship with God, and the first way they felt it was in, the, in their gender, as men or women. Sin didn't affect them as generic people. It affected them as a man and as a woman. The break in the very foundation with God went through that foundation, and it broke into their gender, that next foundation piece on top of that. And that points to what our deepest need is right now. We need God's grace. That's our deepest need, all of us, men or women. We need God's grace because of the break in our relationship with God. That's our deepest problem. That's the foundation of every problem. But the challenge is it's very easy for us to ignore the problem in our relationship with God because we can't see God. We can go through days and Build our life and our days without praying to Him, without reading His Word, without really connecting with Him, because He doesn't get in our face. We don't feel the problem in our break with God directly. So, God created men and women so that a good number of them might form this two in one kind of relationship and might get married. Now, you have a problem that you cannot ignore, right? You can ignore God, but if you and your wife are struggling, can you ignore that? Not very well. You see, the obvious gender break points to the less obvious but deeper God break. Now, my wife cannot restore me to the kind of man that God wants me to be, and I cannot restore her to the kind of woman that God created her to be. Only the grace of God in Jesus Christ can do that. But here's how it works. My relationship with her, and particularly my struggles and my conflict with her, that brings me to my knees before God more than anything else in this world does. I mean, everything else can be going great in my life, and if my wife and I are struggling, that's about all I can think about. And God does that so that we might look beyond just the struggle with the other gender, to our struggle with God. You see, the gender wars are always really about our deeper God war. That's what they're about. And we won't be able to make peace with each other until we make peace with God. We can ignore God, but we cannot ignore each other. I've seen an interesting hashtag show up a lot this past year. Maybe you've seen it. It says the future is female. Now, it's a statement, it's not new. It's a statement from the feminist movement decades ago. And honestly, I get the point. You know, what they're saying is men have been in power long enough. It's our turn. I understand. But the challenge with this phrase and what it represents in the state of the gender wars right now is the future can't be female, and it can't be male. It has to be both. I mean, just for the next generation to exist, you need both an egg and a sperm. It has to be both female and male. And I, I say this because the primary impact of the gender wars and the gender confusions of our time is the rapid decline in the birth rate. You see, that the future is not female, it's not male. The future is kids. This is the future. Not my grandkids. That's my future. But the future of the world is kids. We're always just a generation away from having a very empty future. And and because boys are being raised to not have a clue about what it means to be a man and girls are being raised not having a clue about what it means to be a woman, it's no mystery that the last thing they want to do is get married. And then the last thing they'd want to do is have kids. So the marriage rate's... Marriage is being pushed off and the rates are in decline. I mean, off a cliff decline. And the birth rates are following. If we don't reclaim what it means to be male and female, the future is going to be a very lonely one. Now, next week, we're going to look at particularly what the creation story says about what it means to be a man. Now, again, not the stereotypes, but at the, at the core, what is a masculine soul? How is it nourished? And then the following week, we're going to look at the female soul. What does it mean to be a woman? Now, if you haven't or if you'd like to, I would encourage you to read the creation story this week, Genesis chapter 1-3. through three. I'm not going to take time to read the whole story, but we're going to be looking at parts of it. So it be really helpful if you've read the whole thing. If you don't have a, a Bible that's got a readable translation that you use regularly, if you need a Bible, just grab one in the pockets in front of you. They're there as a gift for you. We'd love to have people reading the Bible. So just grab it. It's, it's our gift to you. And then read the creation story, Genesis 1 through 3, sometime this week. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for information about who we really are. At the core, we just can't get away from the fact that we need you. And then beyond that, we can't get away from the fact that we need each other. We, we often go to great lengths to make up for those, those needs. But only you can meet our need, and only other people can really meet that need. So we're at a very challenging time in our culture where there's just a lot of confusion. God, I pray that you'd help us to listen to your word and hear from you personally on what we particularly need to do next. We thank you for your clarity, and we pray for the future. God, we pray for the blessing of children in the future. We ask this now in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.